Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Zack Snyder's Justice League, Part 1, starring Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Gal Gadot, Ray Fisher, Jason Momoa, and Ezra Miller. Story by Chris Terrio, Zack Snyder, and Will Beale. Screenplay by Chris Terrio, Academy Award-winning Chris Terrio, hmm. and directed by Zack Snyder. Academy Award-winning Zack Snyder. No. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Rice Mile Films. It's time to, a uh, first actually for Rice Mile Films, I don't know if this is... This hasn't happened before, and I don't know if it's going to happen after <laughs> this, but we're covering a movie that we covered last week. Yeah. This is just the, a different variation on it, a lot longer variation on it. And how. And uh, I'm, I'm, I think we're very excited to just kind of get in the weeds and kind of discuss the differences, the similarities, and the pros and cons. And there's a lot to talk about to the point where we're, we haven't done this before on the show. We're splitting this into two separate episodes. If the evidence off mic was the amount of things we had to talk about, we've got probably two shows or maybe seven shows worth of material to try to squeeze in. So we wanted everybody to, in honor of this very long Justice League project, we'll be giving you two six-hour episodes <laughs> on Rise. <laughs> this is going to take that long to get through it. If you thought Endgame was long, buckle up, Buttercup. For yourself a double. The only other uh, film I was I could see justifying it being uh, needing to sp- split into a couple segments would be probably the Lord of the Rings films because they're just so dense with material. Yeah. Um, and this is dense with material, but for <laughs> all the wrong reasons. Mm. But uh, before we get started, you know, Matt, Mr. Uh, Cocktail over here uh, made us up a PB and J chocolate liqueur cocktail which is actually pretty decent yeah these came out okay it's uh the screwball that we've been working with some chocolate liqueur with a splash of half and half mm-hmm. white russian-esque minus the coke i believe there's coke in that not bad yeah i'm okay with this i think it's much better than just drinking the peanut butter whiskey straight yeah agreed but before we go in cheers we need to uh shout out a new patron this week thank you for joining the team miss rachel p for joining our rye smile hall of fame i've gotten also a lot of comments of a lot of fans of our little alien watch along people queuing it up and watching it and it just being a really enjoyable experience from uh the people that have listened to that so there's more of those to come. We've already kind of decided what the next one of those is going to be. And coming up uh, this next week, we have Fight Club. Yeah. Uh, a special bonus episode that you can only get on Patreon.com. So cheers, Rachel. We cheers our PB&J sandwich drink to you. Cheers, Rachel. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all right. And if you want to join the Rye Smile Faithful, go to Patreon.com slash Films. But um, we got a lot to talk about, so let's not beat around the bush and let's get started with our flight question. Here we go. Excellent. 
We'll be talking about that music a lot. I think uh, the score improved a bit in some areas and digressed a little bit in, in a few other areas. But before we get started with our flight question, you and I had a blast coming up with our Justice League top fives. I think it was a lot of fun to just fantasy draft those with a plethora of movie characters. And I got a shout out to uh, some of our very loyal listeners. So first, Mr. Brett, Mm. his top five, Optimus Prime, Jason Bourne, Han Solo, Logan Wolverine, and then Chief Inspector Lee, Jackie Chan from Rush Hour. That made me crack up. (laughs) And then Jonathan P. uh, Jack Burton is his leader of the team. Uh, Genie from Atlantan, the Robin Williams version. Mm. Forge from the X-Men. Mm. Thought that was interesting. Uh, Sokka Tano from uh, Star Wars. And then, not Gandalf the Grey, but Gandalf the White. And his justification was, if he can keep the, his suit white that whole time, he can handle the dry cleaning for his team. So <laughs> I love it. Good, those are great choices. Oh, nice it, teams. It's just endless, like the possibilities. Like I told you I wanted to add Benicio Del Toro from Sicario to my team. Mm-hmm. That's just like a last-minute addition like you we could do that all day just for fun but talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League part of the conversation is just going to be the wild road to even get to this being released the fan outcry and uh the backlash of the theatrical release and then and it happened I mean that there is something to hang your head on that this thing saw the light of day finally so my question to you Matt is in the fantasy world you have fantasy monopoly money to play with to throw at whatever production you see fit, whether it's a film that never got made, a film that was compromised, or a film that you just really want to see that was never even realized. Like, your fantasy money, what are you making? This was so much fun to go through. It took me back to the episode we did on The Shot, which mm. were best films never made. Oh, yeah. Some of those were in consideration here. It, honorable mention before I give you my answer. I still want to really see Schwarzenegger and Verhoeven's Crusade. Oh, of course. I want to see Kubrick's You found a way Napoleon. to you find a way found a way to bring him in. I had to do it before you did. I still have a part that maybe for sick purposes wants to see Night Skies by Spielberg. Mm-hmm. There's lots of those. And we discussed some of Hood, those. Hoodoo and poodoo and voodoo. <laughs> Who do you do? Yeah. <laughs> but none of those are going to be my choice. Okay. I'm going to go with a film called Kaleidoscope. Okay. This is Hitchcock's final movie written uh, with his first talkie screenwriter from Blackmail writing this. Oh, wow. Some of that film found its way into frenzy. The basic premise is it's a sexual thriller that's very violent and not apologetic for being a movie that could have fit in in the early to mid 70s at the end of Hitchcock's Mm. career. I don't think he would be handcuffed by what his legacy was. No, if it's your final movie, maybe get one more go to really do what you want to do before you exit. We've seen him play around. If you take Marnie and you take frenzy, Mm -hmm. I think you get a window into what this might've been, but neither of those are as committed to the violent aspect that he wanted to do in black and white, supposedly. Oh, cool. But with actual violence, a lot of Hitchcock's violence is subtle. Mm -hmm. There's some discussion that there is a prequel element to Strangers on a Train that's in this, or Shadow of a Doubt, some of that maybe leading up to learning why the killer is hiding out and where they did. Yeah. 
the more I read about this, the more the concept really intrigued me. And then Hitchcock being very unabashed about, I want to do this as a real R-rated film, not handcuffed by RKO or Selznick or anybody else. I really want to do it. Interesting. But on the cheap with a psych- a psycho-like cast or a below-the-line crew to do it. Mm-hmm. It could have been gritty. It could have been urban. It could have been apologetic. And at that point, you know there had to be an element of fuck you from Hitchcock to the people that had told him no along the way. He couldn't do it anymore, yeah. I think we might have missed it. He a, might, yeah. He might a have, monster here. He might have been uh, all influenced at that time, too, by the booming Italian giallo genre by yeah. Bava and Argento. Like, it could have been one of those psychosexual, like, killer movies. That, mm-hmm. that sounds great. So, Kaleidoscope. Good choice. Yeah, Frenzy is so forgettable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's like kind of a terrible swan song for a guy who was just on top of his craft for most of his career. Good choice. Thanks. Uh, what prompted me to kind of come up with this question was I've been doing a lot of thinking about James Bond, as I always do, um, and the different actors that have played him. And, you know, I kind of feel to get a good barometer on an actor's tenure as Bond, they need at least like three in the chamber. You know, Pierce had four, Craig's has five, Roger Moore had seven, Jesus Christ. Wow. Uh, Lazenby had the one, but I feel like you need three to give like a good assessment on how his tenure was as Bond. And it really got me thinking about Timothy Dalton and how underappreciated I think he is at playing the character. And very true. I mean, Craig's really good at it and that gritty style and it's realistic, but and Dalton was doing that in the late 80s, and it's very true to how Fleming wrote the character. Very unabashedly brutal, um, intense, and man, Dalton just, he nailed that aspect of, of Bond. I kind of, my my pick, I want money, I need a, I need a third Dalton Bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care what, what, what was in, what it's about or how it goes around, but... His third film was killed by legal reasons, and we've talked about those before. It's Kevin McClory lawsuit on who the hell owns Bond because he drunkenly wrote Thunderball with Fleming one night, and he thinks he owns the franchise now. That's what killed a third thing, and it, the series was actually in like a stalemate for about six or seven years until Goldeneye, mm-hmm. and by then Dalton was like, oh, I'm done. I'm, I've kind of reached my, but I kind of need one more with him to give him just like a fair shake because I love the two entries that he did. Living Daylights and License to Kill. He's, he's such an inch because another trained Shakespearean actor mm-hmm. has the look, that square jaw, that intensity. Oh, yeah. But, oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's just, when people rank the Bonds or rank the Bond films, like he's always just kind of towards the bottom or in the middle, kind of lost in the middle. And I think that's unfair sometimes, for, for him at least. I might need to go back and revisit that era. Mm-hmm. That era for me, the Dalton-Bronson era. Mm-hmm. Lost a lot of steam. It might have been the layoff in there. Would you say seven years? Yeah. In between? Mm-hmm. That probably had a lot to do with it by the time it got resurrected. And with the lack of historical knowledge that you clearly have on on Bond and that I've come to know mostly through you yeah. over the years, it just felt so when it was relaunched post-seven-year hiatus, just mm-hmm. reheated, just a TV dinner. Absolutely. That I don't know if I gave much of that period of fair run. Cause when I was young, yeah. I was all about Roger Bond. Moore. Oh hell yeah. yeah Roger Moore. I wanted to be, yeah. I mean, and Roger Moore's not a good one looking back at it now, but he drove the great cars. He had fancy suits. He always got the good gal. 
Yeah. Who doesn't? I mean, yeah. it's power fantasy mm-hmm. stuff, and I'm not too proud to admit that I was on board. You know what was interesting about Dalton's tenure as well is the way he portrayed the character was almost like a feeling of like, I'm kind of sick of the job. The character, not Dalton, but like that Bond had been doing this secret agent stuff for decades. He played it from like, ah, stuff your orders or this. And in License to Kill, he actually gives up his license to kill. It's revoked so he can go on a vendetta mission against a drug lord. I mean, it's a totally different Bond vehicle in that one. But yeah, fantasy money. I'm going to I'm going to the, the fantasy movie studio. That's what I want to make. Did you go so far as to build a premise? Not really. Okay. Because just anything, just another one with him. I don't care what's going on in it. I just, I just need another one. Love it. Yeah. Good let stuff. us, yeah, let us know. Like, yeah, like it got me thinking a lot about the best movies never made and the sequels that never got to see the light of day. I did give kind of a shake to James Cameron's Spider-Man. I'm always very intrigued by that director and especially that property in his hands could have been pretty amazing yeah. if we, if you really think about it. So Fincher and Bendis considered doing a film called Torso for a while too. So right after Zodiac and right before Benjamin Button, Fincher was kicking around a, another version of Serial Killer called Torso. Mm. It was based on the Cleveland Killer. You're more of the slasher killer guy the than The Cleveland I am. Torso Killer? There you go. Oh, that's a person, yeah. Based on him. Oh, cool. And that one has some interesting points in there too. What I come to find out though, somehow we keep getting to David Fincher today, He's got like 16 or 17 films that are in some version of production somewhere. Jesus. It's pretty crazy. I didn't know that, but that's one of them. Del Toro Jr. Yeah. <laughs> but good choice yeah. uh, to Bond and Hitchcock. We're getting pretty um, pretty royal in our selections here, aren't Absolutely. we? Absolutely. Very British in our, in our yeah. selections. Our nightcap's going to be awesome as well. There's, I think, a great conversation to be had, but we got to talk about the film that made us even come up with that question. Yeah. So let's get right to it and our review breakdown of chapters one through three of Zack Snyder's Justice League. So see, icebergs in the harbor. It's four months since the last ship got through. Well, this stranger... Doesn't come by ship. Don't give me what I keep escaping. There are enemies coming from far away. I need warriors. This stranger. Others like him. I'm building an alliance to defend ourselves. It's very important that I see this man. If this stranger exists, I'll give him your message. 5,000 American. Look, I'll give you 25,000 to talk to this man right now, outside. Two, two, wolf, and thousand. After all. We'll get to that. Uh, but let's talk about this new opening to the movie which is a revisit of sorts to the ending of BVS, A Dawn of Justice, and the Battle with Doomsday. And we at least get some... Part of what I was hoping for in this is to get answers to the questions that the theatrical just, with two hours of running time, just didn't have time for or didn't care to give us answers for. And we do kind of get one of them here. And the reason of the activation of... Why now for the mother boxes? Like, why is Steppenwolf in pursuit now? And we kind of get a little bit of that in Superman's dying death cry. His his death rattle <laughs> ah. echoes throughout the entire world, his Kryptonian voice. 
a bit silly, but at least we kind of see this sound wave activate and reverberate and activate these mother boxes. Now we see the how, but we don't know the why. Like what's so special about Superman's Kryptonian vocal cords that are capable of turning these things on? And I don't know if that is ever told to us. We're going to have a pretty hearty discussion about these mother boxes again today, and I know we started last week. It's a mistake to not have a strong, convicted point of view in the origin and power of these, because for lack of a better comparison, they are either Horcruxes or Infinity Stones. Yep, it's, it's a MacGuffin object to seek out. When Superman wails upon the ending of his life, it does something with the three mother boxes that are hidden and rehidden and rehidden on oh Earth. Oh, my God. We're going to get to it. Oh, you can't wait to do it. <laughs> that causes them to e a either crack and rattle to life or rattle to life and rattle to life, thus causing them to crack. That should be significant. Mm-hmm. The crack in there could be any metaphor for a cracking of the Liberty Bell or a cracking mm-hmm. for the spatial constructs in our universe. And through three episodes on this, we are not going to get an answer as to why they crack. And that's a piece, but the larger, larger component here, what is it about Superman's Kryptonian voice that causes these not necessarily Kryptonian mother boxes because they're created they're not, on the planet Apocalypse? You're right, yep. To then come from a dormant state to a hypersensitive sending their beacons of rescue state. Yeah. What is it about the Kryptonian that causes it? Why are they dormant? And I guess third question, what would cause them to need to be rescued? Because if they're being rescued by Steppenwolf, and we're not letting anything out of the bag because everyone's seen the episode, the the original version. Last week. Or listened to the show. Mm Mm-hmm. There would seem to be a tie to an evil nature and mother boxes in their origin stories are not good or evil. They're just the embodiment of energy from their creators. Now, if their creators are evil, that might make sense, but they're not all. We're in a mess. We can get hung up on this and you can say, oh, you're just being petty and looking for something to bitch about and complain. Okay, you can say that. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is the crux of the entire first half of this film thus far. Yeah. The reassembly and recollection of these three mother boxes. Mm -hmm. We're already in trouble. There's no tie to Krypton. They don't even know Krypton. They could give two tears in a mother box bucket Mm -hmm. about Krypton. So I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> that was that's pretty funny. In your wildest and best screenwriter position, okay, Jesse. Okay. Give me one argument as to why Superman's Kryptonian cry causes the dormant embers of life to spark forth in these mother boxes. You're not going to like it because it's so cheesy and on the nose. But well, maybe not though. Because are it we might be. are we alluding to Superman being some sort of chosen Jesus one? <laughs> yeah. And his voice is that special because he is this spiritual, ethereal being. And that's why they turned on. Now, that's not told to us. That's just an assumption. Why not? But what in what I know about Superman, they often treat him like that. As, and then the rest of these characters are going to treat him like that. That, you know, he died and we got to spend all this time, you know, finding a way to bring him back. We're not there yet in 
this part of the thing, but that's what the crux of the last movie was. Mother boxes could be called soul boxes or life boxes or energy boxes or you name it, mother. And there's clearly a tie in Zack Snyder's Justice League and Joss Abrams, or Joss Whedon's, <laughs> wow, jo- Joss Whedon's Justice League to the lamenting and the role of motherhood in this. Mm-hmm. Is Superman the father? I mean, we're maybe giving this way too much thought because yeah. I don't know if Zack <laughs> Snyder even gave it this much thought, but I'm trying to put together some puzzle that is just not any piece that fits yeah. to make anything less than a disaster. Yeah, that's that, that's hard when yeah, you're right. The crux of your film, you're putting so much thought into the, the, the why, the why it's doing the things that it's doing. That that should be not and not even told to us. That should be shown to us. That's so important. It, it needs to be shown on the screen. I think we understand that these are the keys that allow Darkseid to return to Earth. Absolutely. That's in this version. Mm-hmm. That's not in the original version, mm-hmm. really. Oh, Darkseid's footprints are much more prevalent in uh, Darkseid. We say dark seed. That's how it's spelt. <laughs> Could be. What, yeah. Yeah. Dark side, his uh, fingerprints are much more evident in this version of the film. This seems like the way Snyder wanted to go versus just purely Steppenwolf. He wanted to establish something a bit more grander on the horizon. Since we're doing the bit about the mother boxes and Steppenwolf's mm-hmm. um, quest to recover them, do you want to talk about Steppenwolf's motivation now? Is now the time you want to do sure, that? Sure. Yeah. Why not? You brought it up. It might be the worst deal ever constructed contractually in the history of cinema. So I'll let you lay out the terms of the uh, negotiation. Well, here. I think I have a clip of it here. Oh, how about that? Let me make a plea to him that I may come home after I take this world in his name. You betrayed him. Your own family. I saw my mistake. I slaughtered those who sought his throne. You still. Oh, the Great One, 50,000 more worlds. Damn. We will hear your plea when you pay your debt. The mother boxes will be found and united. No protectors here. No lanterns. No Kryptonium. This world will fall like all the others. Having a hard time getting this world to fall. Good luck in... 49,999 left to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a crap deal. That's um great <laughs> needs a new it, agent. Yeah, it, it reminded me of uh, uh of John Travolta's deal of like 50 cycles of endless renewal of Scientology mm-hmm. uh experiments. Battlefield Earth. Yeah, Battlefield Earth. That's a Battlefield Earth reference. <laughs> yeah, so his motivations a little at least a little bit more fleshed out cuz we didn't even get that in the last version of why he's assembling. He just shows up and just starts putting shit together. But at least in this one, we kind of know, and it's the problem too. I mean, we're going to get into, and we got to go back to Ben Affleck searching in Iceland for people again. This film spends so much time showing us stuff that we could give two licks about. It's in a lot of time, like minute, 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. When a scene like this, I'm much more interested in seeing, okay, how did Steppenwolf betray Darkseid? Uh, what did that involve? Did it involve some type of banishment and some type of hell contract being imposed on you? Those are the scenes I want to see. I don't want to see flying wieners in, in slow motion. Oh, boy, we're going to get to <laughs> yeah, that. I have a clip of that, too. So, You, you know what I mean? Yes. Wouldn't you rather see that? I do, and it be- goes back to something that you nailed when we were talking, and I'm going to bring it up here, but I'm going to defend it with your theory for me. Mm-hmm. 
in the DC universe, they really struggle to not have blurred lines on one where on where one character's skill set starts and another one stops, and they all kind of spend the same general superhero skill set amongst each other. The way the Flash is presented in this movie makes him entirely unnecessary. Yeah, he's not faster. Um, we'll get into all this. This is another example of that, but on the villain side. Mm-hmm. We're trying to decode exactly what Steppenwolf is going to do. And we get a hint, and this is to make up for some betrayal that he has perpetrated on Darkseid. Mm-hmm. That then is schlucked off for the introduction. We're trying to figure out these mother boxes yeah. of Desaad, named after the Marquis Desaad. And the Desaad in the DC Universe, mm-hmm. or Desaad in the DC Universe, is a new god that essentially is Darkseid's torture guy. Yeah. So my question now is, instead of defining the mother boxes, did you choose to take us down the path of figuring out if Steppenwolf is answering to Desaad or is he answering to Darkseid? And are you sure you wanted to use Desaad? Because the name is so close to Darkseid. Unless you're a comic book nerd, you're probably not taking the time to learn the difference. <laughs> yeah. And on top of everything else, mm-hmm. it's another problem, Desaad is interesting looking enough upon first glance that it steals the exposition dump that's happening in real time. He's like melting metal. <laughs> kind of cool looking though, yeah. sort of melting, like kind of Dr. Doomish with lava behind him. He did look like Dr. Doom. Yeah, okay, yeah. so as a Doom fan, I'm, I'm there. Mm-hmm. But now we're not paying attention to a very poorly constructed arc for these mother boxes or backstory of these mother boxes. And then Steppenwolf, who was nondescript in film one, who was just starting to get his feet underneath him in matter Mm -hmm. is becoming nondescript again because Desaad's cooler looking or at least newer looking. And then there's one more thing. Sorry. And then I'll give no, go ahead. Go ahead. Desaad seems to appear out of the stone altar (laughs) that we don't know (laughs) how it came to be or what it's called or why it is essentially the USB port for these mother boxes. (laughs) Good. That (laughs) solves all questions of accessibility to alternate dimensions when Steppenwolf can be beamed down, Scotty, through these teleportation tubes. Why isn't the sod beamed? There's... We're so caught up in the grand, we're not explaining the simple. Well, we're in Sokovia again. And And to finish that thought... Yeah. We don't know where these characters are starting or stopping. And in the hero aspect, that's Wonder Woman's as fast as the Flash and as strong as Superman and all of those things. We're doing the same, like to where they all share a similar skill set. We're now doing the same thing with the villains. They all share a similar nondescript, look cool, who knows what the hell it all means skill set. Okay, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I think that's all very very valid. I think Steppenwolf does have a teensy bit more going for him in this version compared to the last one. I mean, that gives him some motivation because that was absent in the prior entry. But yeah, we're establishing another big bad. We're trying to establish Steppenwolf. We're trying to establish mother boxes. We're trying to establish the Justice League. Jesus, like this film doesn't, in four hours, it does feels like it doesn't have enough time to fully get into the weeds with all of this. And then that's that's the thing that kills me. And we, we did cut this in half, thankfully, for our own sanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but four hours is 
this isn't the Godfather Part Two. Let's just be real. Yeah. Uh, no film should be this long in in totality. And on first viewing of this, you know, we get to the scene of Ben Affleck recruiting heroes a team again for a threat based on a rumor. He just that's bad too. But that was the same in the last one. And so he goes to Aquaman, and that's a disaster. Only for him to tell him no. So the scene just has no purpose other than to tell him no. As the film turns into Midsommar by the end. Oh, my God. But this is where I, I really started thinking about editing, film editing, and why it's so important. It's an important job on a, on a film production. And it's sometimes called the invisible art because you get so wrapped up into it. Like when we did our Alien watch along, I mean, there was a a couple pockets there where we just got so engrossed with the film and it was silent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We were so engrossed with the collection and putting together of images of, you know, what it was trying to evoke feelings from us. That's hard to do. I mean, we watch so many movies. We don't even realize that editing's, you know, taking place. What an editor also does on a film is they dictate pacing. They dictate tone. They dictate flow. They create, they create the shot reverse shot that we're so used to seeing. And in a film that's four hours long and we're spending all this time watching Ben Affleck horse up to this shack and then all these slow-mo shots and establishing shots of scenery, it's films long because of there's too much excess in here. A competent editor could get this down to two hours and 30 minutes and it still not might not be a success, but it wouldn't feel as tedious as this is we counted on our hand the number of scenes that could just be taken out because they have no fruition and purpose on the story of this film they're just there to be there and is that a vanity project that's Zack snyder's vanity project i mean he has the opportunity to put everything in here that wasn't allowed the first time and i think that was a mistake it's i think it's hurting what, what could be i don't want to say a great film but a decently solid film to watch yeah, that's all fair. Mm-hmm. Whatever version we saw last week in the completed Justice League in two hours, mm-hmm. at least, and that's a bad film. We talked about that. Yeah. At least that made some linear sense and got to a story and told it with something that was interesting to watch instead of the revenant like establishing shot after shot in a superhero film that I don't care about how many tights do I need to have on Jason Momoa's pecs or beard soaked from ocean water face. I get it. He's got crystal clear blue alien like eyes and a lot of time in the gym body Mm -hmm. and a lot of time of drugs to go with it. Cool. Now get to a story. Yeah. I think this first half, these first three chapters, are essentially creating enough backstory to where I hope Zack Snyder was attempting to pay that off in the second half of the film by creating sympathy or compassion or, at the least, interest for the characters that we've seen. The problem is about the, and this is across the board, Mm -hmm. about the time you get me interested into the new elements in this film, I don't need Batman again. I'm pretty good with Wonder Woman. I probably don't need Superman, and he's not even in for the first half anyway, so it doesn't matter. So Batman and Wonder Woman aside, about the time you get me the least little bit interested in what the story to get this version of the character and make me want to learn more is about the time it gets stolen with another deluge of water 
another helicopter establishing shot on some structure that essentially is nondescript. Um, it's another shade of lipstick when I've just begun to consider mm -hmm. if I'm going to buy that pig. And it suffers over and over and over again. And I know we started talking about um, Batman and Aquaman's introduction in whatever little town that is and then moved immediately into Steppenwolf. I think that's mostly what the first half of this film is, is just enough backstory to make me care about the last two hours. But that's the problem, Jesse. Mm -hmm. Why did you spend two hours to make me care about the second? Isn't, and it's no more clear than anyone in The Flash. And we haven't talked about Cyborg yet, too. Hey, we'll get there. Isn't it just such a sinful admission that The Flash and Cyborg, those two specifically, I guess, mm -hmm. had to have had their own origin Ab story. Absolutely. Yeah. And it goes back to something that we brought up and I'm just going to say it now and I'm not defending this other film and I'm not saying it because it suited us for what we talked about last week. Okay. At least with the crappy version of Hal Jordan that we have in the Green Lantern. Oh, yeah, yeah. At least I know enough about the character to wire. I don't have to watch you dick around barely explaining the character. And he's a big component of this. Yeah. And takes the cosmic element that is necessary to understand Steppenwolf and the planet apocalypse and these mother boxes, and at least gives us what they do in a really shitty way with wonder woman in the temple of the fucking Amazons or whatever the that house, whole nonsense the is. The rising sun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's a lot. Well, the other thing that could have done too was they didn't have to make this film the year after Batman versus Superman. They could have done it three years later. And in the interim, done a flash a wonder woman a green lantern film an aquaman and and take the time to set those characters up because that's what this whole first half is it's all setting up characters we haven't seen before so we care about how this is going to play out and you you see the evidence right from the get-go like we were sitting there on the couch watching this thing how in god's name could any studio release a four-hour movie like this? And then I said, maybe the plan was to release it in two halves. So two hours up to here, what we're going to stop today is they're barely assembled and barely anything happens. That's not even a releasable film. It's quote-unquote, I wouldn't say unwatchable because, you know, we watched it and whatnot. It's an unreleasable movie in either format. Yeah. Yeah. We, we'll just stop at an hour and 50 53. So an hour and 53 minutes in, let's count the action sequences we have so far. We have the uh, London bank heist, whatever the hell, terrorist <laughs> attack, whatever that is. We have Steppenwolf versus the Amazons. Mm -hmm. We have Steppenwolf versus the Atlanteans. The Atlanteans. That's it. Three. Yeah. In two hours. The rest of the movie is an exposition dump. Now, to be fair, mm -hmm. the bit with the terrorists trying to blow up these children in whatever structure that is in London. Blow up these children. <laughs> to reset the world in the dark era. Whatever. Some just general baddie badness. That's a good 10 minutes. And about six of those minutes are ticking down 15 seconds. Don't you think that could be five minutes though? I mean, action, and this is also the problem with just really drawing something out is, you know, you really kind of lose the intensity of these action sequences because they just go on for just too damn long. I mean, you, you get the point, you know, Wonder Woman's going to come up, come in and make mincemeat of these guys. Let's just get to it. Well, you brought it up and it was so well done. So I'm going to set you up and then let you take a rip at this one. Okay. You talked about the slowed counting down because essentially after 
Batman leaves Aquaman town. Summer, we go to, Summer Isle and Wicker yeah, Man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we go to Wonder Woman rescuing these kids. Okay. So break down the problem with the very slow oh, yeah. 15 seconds and how that plays into the space that should be the Flash. So there it is. Take a rip at it. Yeah. Well, it's, well this is, it's also a Zack Snyder thing because he loves him some slow motion, which, you know, I would never use slow motion in a film I made. I think that's, he must have loved The Matrix when it came out. Uh, and that inspired by John Woo and the bullet time. Yeah. And, it, and then trickled down to John Woo. Exactly. But Wonder Woman, for whatever reason, when she buzzed down that door, is able to also slow down space time because she's able to see the bullets fire at a minuscule pace to be able to dodge them at the last second. And I'm like, OK, wait a minute. The Flash does that, too, in his ridiculous scene and his bits. Superman does that, too, and they share that weird little glance. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if Cyborg was able to do that. And then it kind of came down to, I was like, Matt, this is why I've always liked Batman. And he it doesn't fit this movie because the threat is going to be out of his league. But I always liked him because he was just a dude who had gadgets and money and his powers are within a certain space. Maybe he's smart. When the script and the story need Wonder Woman to literally shoot through two roofs to blow up a building, she's able to do it. Uh, when she needs to slow down space time to block some bullets, she's able to do it. But DC's always been guilty of this is not really defining their hero's spectrum of what they're able to do and what they're able to not do. And that's a Marvel thing that they, they Stan Lee figure that out from the word go. And those characters, you know what they can do and what they cannot do. Uh, it's a big problem. And then everyone just becomes a caricature of each other. And we'll get to Cyborg, but they, in trying to make him interesting, make him the most powerful being more powerful than Darkseid, probably. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's Ultron. He, he is. Yeah. You're right. I hope that some was, of you... Was that the answer you were Yeah, it was. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I hope that some of you choose to watch this. And when you're watching whatever terrorist attack... What is this place, anyway? Do we even know? Is it's it some... School? Muse museum? museum? London Art Museum. Okay, so there's a field trip at a London Art Museum that these London terrorists have come to destroy with some suitcase bombs. Just general baddie badness. <laughs> As you all watch this, ask yourself if this is a five-minute countdown versus a one-minute countdown. Thus, it allows you the opportunity to do it in real time or even two minutes. Does it play better? Because after the suitcase bomb is blown up in the sky because Wonder Woman jumps through a couple roofs and just tosses it um, to the heavens, she is then blown back into the museum, which makes that whole gauntlet explosion scene even more ridiculous because then she destroyed all the artifacts in there and she works in museums, so she knows how valuable they are. <laughs> she can come back and still go through that pretty cool block the bullets with her gauntlets bit mm -hmm. as she protects this hapless horde of people huddled against the wall. Mm-hmm. None of that needs to be in slow motion. Like, we get it. Watching her just do this and sparks and ting, 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 you get that. And that she's moving equally fast in real time instead of fast in slow motion time. Mm -hmm. Like, I think slow motion, I mean, it can be a fun gimmick from time to time, but it's literally, it's in every sequence. I mean, everybody, we could shave off 40 to 50 minutes of this runtime, oh, I imagine, just by just speeding it up a bit. So through two scenes, we've reintroduced Aquaman in not a cool Aquaman way. Just the bruiser in the local tavern. And he says no. <laughs> who provides fish to people. Yeah. 
who's for sale. Yeah. So he's mercenary. Yeah. They're not going to make him a mercenary. Mm-mm. He's not even a mercenary, yeah. like the hired gun. He's not even that. And then we go to a reintroduction of Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Neither of those are necessary. Are we going to get a reintroduction to young Bruce Wayne watching his parents shot in the alley <laughs> I'm also? I'm surprised we don't. I'm, I'm also surprised <laughs> it's not. But you know who we do get, though? Let's go. Who? We, we get Jeremy Irons again. Ah, you like that. And I recorded this scene because we played the same audio last week. It's the same scene, but albeit a little bit different. One Mr. Barry Allen from Central City. Might be another false positive. You'll have to give me a little time to confirm. We don't have any more time. Master Wayne, you've been working as if there's no tomorrow to build this team of people you can't even find. I found one. I found two. Include Diana. Just because Lex Luthor says the planet's in danger of attack. This has nothing to do with Lex Luthor. It has to do with him. I made a promise to him on his grave. I spent a lot of time trying to divide us. I need to bring us together and make this right. Well, it's been some time since Luther's warning. No attacks. No barbarians at the gate. Maybe these barbarians don't use a gate. Maybe they're already here. Did Batman versus Superman, did the characterization of Bruce Wayne Batman in that give you enough reason for him to called arms to make this team <laughs> did you get enough in that movie <laughs> no but i want to no not at all but yeah. i want to ask you a question because i can't remember okay in the original justice league the one that we watched last week okay doesn't batman kill a parademon on top of a rooftop yeah that's the opening yeah that's not in this film no yeah that's a weed and scene <laughs> okay so yeah if that's the inciting incident in that film to cause him, oh crap, maybe what Luther said in that cell and he's coming and that weird bit that he does yeah. is accurate, that's much stronger than what you've been saying the whole time is, I need to assemble this team based on this crazy bald guy in the cell telling me that this bad entity is coming. Well, Alfred just called them out on it. He's right. Yeah, he is right. <laughs> so Batman's going to go to all these lengths with not a single piece of evidence to create this team that doesn't want to be part of his team to fight some omnipotent other world presence that hasn't even shown up yet because they're already here. What in the holy fuck are we doing? <laughs> because their moms had the same name. I mean, now they're they're blood brothers now. Oh my god. But yeah, really, that's 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 really what the crux of it is. And I always thought, you know, Batman is a smart guy. He has money, but he is he is he has some wits to him. He wouldn't just go full Mm-mm. face first into this conflict without some tangible reason too. That's why the opening needs to set the events in motion. Right. The opening should be the evidence, uh, albeit a little bit better than the Whedon version with the, the parademon. But like some sort of sequence that lets us know, hey, there's a threat here. Now go assemble that team. Don't do it and waste our time with these two scenes just so we can do the same scenes later. Yeah, I, you're right. Uh, okay, so we've talked to Steppenwolf, the new Steppenwolf. He's got a new suit. I asked you, did you like the new Steppenwolf design? Yeah, I like that iridescent sort of purple-green effect to it. Yeah, it looks cool. And it kind of like moves. A little like, bit more part of his actual body. Okay. Organic, maybe. So yeah, that's that, good. Yeah, so that's different. Uh, more slow motion. The color has just been totally yanked out of this movie. I don't think there's a green to be found. And Aquaman's suit is green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That that's the the Snyder's decision to just have a color palette tone of browns, Gray. grays, and wet, 
the light or dark blue and yeah, and wet. Everything's just like raining. We is, talked about that. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, go ahead. The uh, one of the knocks on the DC is that their universe is just so somber, and they've tried to lighten it up with a few quippy one-liners here and there to sort of like make the film a little less serious. It struck me today what the problem is. It happened today. Okay. As we're watching this film, you are hard pressed to find a sunny day anywhere, anything having to do with DC. Everything is wet. It's always raining or snowing. And again, it's just the aesthetic of whatever eternal lack of serotonin or melatonin, whichever is the one that's the good one, eternal Seattle. That's what this is. It's the eternal Seattle. It's like watching Seven as a superhero film. Yeah. Wherever, I think that's Seattle in Seven too. If not, it should be. It's just always gloomy. And it fits Batman. It doesn't, it, fit, does. it doesn't fit the rest of these other characters. I mean, the, the Mascara in... I almost said something very stupid. I almost said, I'd go back and rewatch the theatrical version to see if it was greener. I'm not going to do that. You're not going to do I'm that. I'm just going to assume it was greener because it, the, the grass that they're, when they get onto the horses and have that crazy sequence of uh, mother box thievery, uh, the grass looks dead. Like everything is just so brown and just not lively. And I was like, would it kill you to throw a green in there? And that's all color correction. They didn't shoot it like that. Mm-hmm. There's dangers to color correction in films. We see kind of the brilliance of that with like a film like Mad Max Fury Road where the colors like literally create a vibrancy to the film. This one, it just <laughs> films it. If the film wasn't kind of dead already, it makes it deader with um, its color choices. Very, very odd. I would never, I, at least with Batman, I would, but not with Wonder Woman or The Flash. I'd brighten it up a little bit. And Aquaman, it, the, the underwater scenes are entirely kind of dark too. It's like you oh. have fish. Fish <laughs> can be super colorful. Yeah, get some oranges and some yellows and some light. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about Themyscira and the abduction of the first mother box. Since you already brought it up, well, do you want to talk about? Okay, yeah, go ahead. Or did you want to go first? No, let's let's do that. It's a long action sequence, and it's actually pretty entertaining visually. Yeah. There's one big problem. It doesn't involve. The biggest character and most powerful character of the Justice League at this point, Wonder Woman, because mm-hmm. she's in the Louvre or in London or something. Yeah. After she did her explosive concussive gauntlet blast, which I didn't know that was a power she had, but I guess she has the power to explode stories of museums with her gauntlet, whatever. Yeah. All right. Bracelets. All right. We've seen this before, and we do realize that he's coming, and the mother box, I guess, has called to him. Even though it's cracked? Okay. It's called out to him. He recognizes that planet one of the five fifty, what is it, fifty thousand or fifty million that he's got to fifty thousand. Fifty thousand that he's gotta collect is Earth. So they come back to Earth. They've already been here. Fifty million planets I would I would have turned the movie off. That's a, we have to be reasonable. That's a stupid number. Okay. <laughs> fifty thousand is reasonable. Fifty million is not. Mother boxes aside. So he shows up, right? And yeah. he's trying to get this this mother box. None of that's none of that's different. It's mm-hmm. all the same that we've seen. Yeah. So I have two things I want to bring up here. All right. For all of the arguments that have been made about this being an entirely different movie, the simple fact of the matter is there are additional sequences that are new, but the story is not different. Yeah. It's the same story. Mm-hmm. It's still the same Steppenwolf trying character to get the mother boxes to bring the window to dark side to come to earth. At least for this first section that we've seen. We, we still got to get 
we've got to get into the other two hours of this movie. Well, we'll see about the Lois Lane death in the Batcave bit if that's going to still happen. And I'm really like very interested to see if that's in play. Yeah. But it's not a different movie. It's just a longer version of the original. Well said. Yes. And the second piece is where Steppenwolf finds the Amazon mother box, which I believe is the pink to red one, is not... (laughs) Where the Amazons initially hide the mother box. <laughs> now, are we doing this now? Um, may, maybe not yet. Okay, but we're we are struggling now with what seems to be two dueling ideas in script mm-hmm. that they just smash together, and instead of getting this is where it is, it's it might have been here upon retrieval and then rehiding to then retrieve it again and rehide it like. This, if this is not going to make sense, if you haven't seen this film or the first three parts of this film, but we're going to get into it. I want everyone to acknowledge that it is in this dome structure that they collapse the walls in and send to the bottom of Themyscira's ocean. That is where the pink mother box is or is before they take it out of that and begin the field chase with Steppenwolf. Why is it there? Yeah. Because you conceal it and it's safe. Okay. Maybe there's your argument. But he's still able to find it. <laughs> Super quick. Yeah. Again, it goes back to what you said. Is Steppenwolf also super fast? Yeah. Because he's r- running down horses like with a pair of flip-flops on. And, and zooming through the galaxy through his own little sky beams, space beams. So what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. Because you know it, was, you, it was cracked. He got a whiff of the mother box scent. And you know what you've done when you've made him that powerful? Yeah. You have rendered the person that's creating the team, Batman, mm-hmm. entirely useless. Oh, <laughs> yeah, to that, you know, Toast Man, though? Yeah. I love Batman, but he's he's useless I do, in this. Yeah, he has no... Later, when, when shit will hit the fan, yeah, he's going to be relegated to just standing in the shadows. <laughs> Another thing I would ask you... I know he just wants some help. Yeah. So I, whoever is available, he'll take. And I guess there's a mother box in Atlant- Atlantis. So maybe Aquaman in his denying his family legacy. I don't want to be a surface dweller or a water dweller. Petulant bullshit. But he doesn't know that at this point. <sighs> I don't even know. I mean, I get for the purposes of the Justice League, but I don't know what, what he brings to the table either because the battle with Steppenwolf isn't going to be in the water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, are we doing the cheetah in nineteen eighty four have a sea battle and air battle with Wonder Woman with Aquaman? Well, Kinda. he did 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 last week. He rode it down like a surfboard. Uh, real quick, uh, I've been trying to pinpoint for the last two weeks what the opening of this movie should be because it wasn't how it was last week. And the, what we get, Superman's death rattle, and then the assembly team like this isn't. It shouldn't be the opening. I think I figured it out, Matt. Okay. I think I figured out the opening to this movie. Sweet, let's hear it. It's Good. not in here, but we, we had to get to. <laughs> Um, suspend your disbelief. We're gonna. I'm gonna play the clip, and then we gotta, and then this will lead us into what I know we're dying to talk about the 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 placement of the mother boxes. So let me play this first, and then I'll, I'll explain the opening. Okay. As Darkseid waged war on Earth, he found a secret there, a power hidden in the infinity of space. He called forth mystics who worshipped and controlled three objects: the mother boxes. Wait, wait, wait. Mother boxes? Indestructible living machines. Made from a science so advanced, it looks like sorcery. 
To conquer, three boxes have to synchronize and join together into the Unity. The Unity cleanses the planet with fire, transforming it into a copy of the enemy's world. All who live become servants of Darkseid, alive but drained of life. Parademons. I'm glad at least that they they showed us and they didn't just like tell us an explanation. Do, do you remember in the, the very first Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, the opening of the film is this uh, Kate Blanchett explains the races of men, dwarves, mm-hmm. elves, and then we get the battle with Sauron and we understand the mythology of the ring before yeah. we even get into the mm-hmm. weeds with the plot of the film. Mm-hmm. Diana works at an art museum. So what if like the opening of the film is just one of these field trips and she's just passing along and they come across an, an artist and it is like this battle, this dark seed, some mural of that, a built in mythology. Mm-hmm. And the kids are like, what's that Diana? And then so she, and then she does this, she does the same voiceover that she gives Bruce, but then we get it early on in the film. Mm-hmm. So we understand right from the get go, what we're, what this whole thing's about so much better. We get this, an hour and 15 minutes into the movie, in this version of the movie, it's 40 minutes in the prior version, but for a film that has, uh, that's good. Jesse. A, the film that has a need to establish a deep DC mythology of villains, races, battles. I mean, they had Zeus in that battle, the, mm-hmm. the old gods and the Atlanteans lanterns. And you did a whole thing on that a version of the green lantern, but we need to know these things right from the get-go. We can't just be treading water and then we come up for air and we get that at the hour mark. That's just poor pacing. That's poor screenwriting, first of all. Yeah. Uh, we need that at the beginning. like, and it's, and, it's, and it's done in storytelling mode. And I thought Diana's art role was the perfect conduit for that. That's really well done. If you work in a museum, you certainly have access to the memoirs of ancient and foregone legacies. And you don't have to then shoot... And it would be her because she has the lore of the old. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't have to shoot a stupid flaming arrow across six continents to <laughs> land on Greece to light some stone on, like a stone floor on fire mm-hmm. in an Amazonian temple, which then has Diana show up to retrieve the arrow to then from that point move to another different location, enter this, like hit the secret knock on the wall so that the door opens and then you uncover a wall of cave art that explains the mother boxes and the battle with dark. You're absolutely right. We can avoid all of that. Yeah. And I brought it up and I kind of did it tongue in cheek, but it's no more ridiculous than a flaming arrow that flies 6,000 miles from mm-hmm. Themyscira to Greece. Yeah. Just have Hippolyta, mm-hmm. Connie Nielsen, yeah. call Diana. Yeah. We need you. Yeah. Or if you don't like that, do some Amazonian chant because it's not like we're not opposed to chants in this film. There's yeah. like him like chants every t- whether Aquaman spit goes into the sea or Bring the Midsommar cast back to this and they can chant Diana to say, hey, there's a warning. I yeah, just, Jesse, that's that's much better. Yeah, you're yeah. right. It's it, much better. And we probably shred like 30 minutes of this thing. And then it makes sense instantly. I mean, uh nothing's more frustrating than just getting the exposition dump like halfway through the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the plot of what they, what they just went into. Okay. I know we're dying. I know we're dying to uh, explain the green lantern. And then we got to get to the, what we're just this powder keg we're sitting on. It kind of leads into the hiding of the mother boxes. Anyway, in the battle that we see between the, the warring armies that have created an, uh, an alliance to take down dark side, 
we do get an appearance of a Green Lantern. Yeah. Uh, this one is particularly interesting because his name is Yalengur. And of all the Green Lanterns, he's only slightly less evil than Sinestro himself. Yalengur gets his ring and becomes the most oppressive Lantern to point at that point in the Lantern Corps history to where he essentially enslaves all of China and makes them his his indentured servants. Interesting. The Guardians, which are the ones that grant the rings, then take the ring back from Yalengur and put it in, and it evolves into another thing. But he is a straight-up bastard. Interesting that he's used on the battlefield. Yeah. yeah. And it poses, I think, a really interesting question. If you want to use the Lantern Corps, and I think that this is an important component to this film because it presents the cosmic. Yeah. Are you creating an origin story for Yal and Gur? Because the natural, the natural question is, who is that? Because there's a million lanterns and each one of them have a story. Yeah. Okay, so that's, but that's, that we're getting into the weeds here. After the battle with Darkseid is finished, the three surviving armies, the humans, the Atlanteans, and the Amazons, each get one of the three mother boxes and then are given the task of hiding them so that the forces of Nefaria cannot retrieve them. This is where shit gets really, really messy. Okay, so let's do one by one. Okay, let's, let's do the humans first. Okay. The humans are, as a general principle, the humans are going to choose to hide their mother box in the earth. When we leave the battlefield, the next time we see the humans with their mother box is taking it out of some sand structure. Sand cement block structure, yeah. In the middle of God only knows where. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a retrieval. I don't care what anyone says. That is retrieving it from somewhere. If the task was to hide it, why are you retrieving it from an already established hiding, clandestine hiding location yeah. to then get what we get in just a moment, and that's them in the middle of some forest. Hiding it in the dirt. Digging a hole to bury it in the dirt. And there's one more component to add to this. Uh-huh. At some point, it's going to get from that hole in the dirt into the hands of, of my, Cyborg. <laughs> Miles Dice. <laughs> yeah. So w- let me be really clear here. Yeah. Hide the box. Humans, we'll hide ours first. This is me and Jesse's version. Yeah. Put it in this sand stuff and we'll hide it in like, because it looks like sand. And then we see them carrying it. And when big heavy hammers knocking the sand off of it to reveal it, to then dig another hole and put it in another version of sand or earth. It is atrocious filmmaking. Let's do the Atlanteans next because I think they have a pretty good hiding spot too. It's in the middle of probably the earth's core Mm. being gripped viced by a squid or an octopus. Yeah. And so they chain up the squid and octopus and reel them back in to get the box. Which is a retrieval. To then put it on a pedestal out in the open. And that's where we see it when Steppenwolf comes back and, and takes it. So, yes, we retrieved it from a good hiding spot to throw it out into the open. I'll also pose, mm-hmm. because it's a squid, it's retrieved from a squid that has to be holding it in a water location. So, as the humans took it from one version of Earth to put it in another version of Earth, I guess the Atlanteans got the same notes and decided to take it from one version of water to put it into a less hidden version of water do the amazon one now this one (laughs) this one the well of the souls i need to take a breath here (laughs) you all have to watch this 
we see the Amazons with their pink box. <laughs> this is such a loaded comment. Their, their red box. And take it to what looks like the Well of the Souls from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. They set it in a stone dome-like structure on a stone altar to then raise up a stone window to have a symbol be illuminated with the first bit of sunshine, I think, that DC's ever shown in a film. That's being sarcastic. It's, go it's through also, that. It's also true. Go through that symbol. Yeah. And illuminate. And it's rotating. The mother box, which causes it to glow bright red pink and spin wildly on some non-apparent axis. It's engaged. It's hidden. And it's active. Yeah. This is happening. This is not buried in some tomb. It's in a place where it is being fired up and used by the sunshine. I guess that's not good enough because the next thing we're going to see is a bunch of Amazons knocking some dowels out of a stone structure to then put the mother box in a much more DC proper place that's never had an ounce of sunlight hit it. And out in the open. Out in the open. Yeah. We have three cases where the box is already hidden to then have a retrieval to rehide it. In a much worse hiding spot. Uh, yeah, that was. What? Oh, that's uh, what, about midway through this uh, episode two or part two? Is that, I think it's towards the end, yeah. That's towards the end of part two. And I, I beg you all <laughs> for the last, I don't know, 15 minutes that Jesse and I have been going, please watch this. Watch the backstory on the humans, Atlanteans, and gods destroy Darkseid, and then the mother box piece that follows. It will leave you in a state of absolute betwixt frustrated betwixt, confusion. good word. Uh, there's just such a lack. Well, you know, that's, ba- that's bad editing. Such a lack of conviction from anyone in this film to just make a decision and go with it. Well, we're kind of explaining the mother boxes, but throw Dasad in here. We kind of have hidden them, but then rehide them. Like there's just no conviction to see anything through. Or is that Snyder saying, hey, we have this footage. It doesn't make sense, but we need to just put it in here because it's my cut. Because <laughs> frankly, each of the three ones, those other three original are better. The way better hiding spaces. <laughs> oh yeah, that was, I'm glad we brought it up because I was thinking that and I was like, that's strange. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I'm just seeing it in a weird way. Uh, but I was glad we brought that up to talk. Yeah. You got to go check this out to see. Cause we're not lying. This, this happened in the movie. Oh, quick question. And then we'll get on to uh, the flash. What did you think of dark, dark sides? Look, do you think he looked all right for, I guess what time and money they had to piece him together? He's no Josh Brolin Thanos. No, he's not. Yeah, he's okay looking. Uh, he's burly and looks like the dark side that I grew up with in my limited knowledge of DC. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with him. Who? Because is, is he a Jack Kirby creation? Mm-hmm. Part of the New Gods, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Marvel and DC, foot in each door. Yeah. Because I think Dark Side was first before Thanos, I think, created. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I don't know the exact years, but th- th- they have a constant history of just like we're going to make a character, and he's just going to be kind of different than this other one that you made. They do love. Th- to they're do that. so both. They're guilty of all of that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Flash and uh, disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer here. Mm-hmm. I'm a DC fan. I like look, look at all the Batman shit in here. Look at all those DC comics down there. Look, man, I I, I love Watchmen. You you don't like it as much as I do, but yeah. I'm a DC guy. Yeah. I love the comics. I love the characters. I would love to see them done in some great capacity on screen. 
So I'm not trying to hate on this film because I'm just as much a fan as all the DC fanboys out there. I want to see quality control with these characters. What I'm about to play and what we're about to talk about, I turned to you and said, this might be one of the worst scenes I've ever seen in a movie, mm-hmm. ever. Am I late? No, I'm so late. I'm very late. Oh, hey, Mudgy. Hey. Oh. Nope. Here. I'm so sorry. I'm late. Are you... Uh... I'm, I'm so sorry I'm so late. I didn't mean to be so late. I'm me and I'm here and I'm so sorry I'm late. Essentially, the bus didn't come, then the bus did come, but then there was this old woman counting change for the fare, like nickel, penny, nickel, penny. Like, geez, Louise, let this woman on the bus. She's 107 years old. These are some of her last few moments of life. Resume. Resume. Okay, we talked about it a lot last week. We don't have to, you know, weigh down too heavy on this. Ezra Miller's just insufferable as this character. I mean... His pantameter, his dial. I know they're trying to do a flash punny thing. He talks really fast because he's hyper because he's always moving so fast. But, oh, gosh, it's just such a groan for me. And then we see his little power, his little time stoppage, similar to what Wonder Woman has going on when she's able to just move past bullets. And then we introduce a pretty big character in the Flash Dumb, which is Iris West, which ends up being his, like, primary love interest. Again, had they just taken what was used in the show, they already done that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they already right. did that. Yep. But what takes place next is this ridiculous car accident, slow motion rescue scene with this guy that wants to eat a floor cheeseburger in his semi-truck that causes this collision with Iris's car. She goes flying. We slow down to a millisecond. Mm-hmm. Flash busts out of his shoes. And I don't know what song they use, but they pick the worst song imaginable. Yeah. And flying hot dog wieners. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, go ahead and say it. As he's admiring her, and there's a bunch of flying phalluses all around her face. How, it, it, how can you not deduce that? But how is it not silly, though? It's ridiculous. Oh, goodness. And as this woman is, Iris, is flying through the air to her untimely demise upon the asphalt, we watch Barry move a lock of hair out of her pretty face and then gently cross her arms and lay her oh so carefully on the ground in slow time creating in the viewer a sense of he must really love this woman (laughs) to make matters even worse though he's going to take one of those flying hot dogs and stuff it in his pocket (laughs) It is just riddled with perversion and silliness. Oh, my God. (laughs) It has no purpose being in this movie because Iris doesn't show up. I imagine we haven't seen the other half, but, Matt, I'll bet you a a drink. I'll just just chug another one of these (laughs) drinks if she she shows up in the rest of this movie because she does not. I pray to God this is the end of it. And then it, it warrants the scene meaningless. It's just to establish that Flash is fast and he's quick. We, this pet job has no ramifications on his aspirations, which are to get dad out of jail with this criminal justice degree. Mm-hmm. It is the most pointless scene. It is so ridiculous. The flying wieners are just, yeah, wow. Like it, It's truly one of the most hideous scenes I've ever seen on, on screen. This is the first thing. We joked. We said, four hours? This is probably about a 300-plus page script. How does that get greenlit, first of all? 
Second, when you're the DC execs who have been incredibly harsh to this production uh, and you're sitting and watching this cut of the film and you go, that's the first scene that gets cut. We don't have seven minutes to screw around with this ridiculousness. Yikes. And that's the introduction of the Flash by everyone. That's <laughs> the first. Yeah, that's, you're right. That's the first time we see him in this. Instead of dicking around with all of this in the air post-accident, we've already established Iris because they pass each other as Barry's going in to get a job at the pet store. Anyone that cares to know about Flash's history or knows about Flash's history will recognize, oh my gosh, there's Iris. And you have a cool little Easter egg. That's all you need. That's enough. <laughs> and if you don't have that in there, then the la- the glance that they share back and forth is enough to tell you like, huh, if I know nothing about the Flash, hmm, maybe that's a future love interest. We'll see where that goes. And that's all you need. That's it. Because then we get the bit with dad and then we go back to his flash pad where Bruce is waiting for him because now it's time to assemble the team. We now know the mother boxes are assembled. Mm-hmm. So Sally forth. Mm-hmm. And... I, I pitched to you, I was like, you know, Barry's so into crime and wants to free dad. And I was like, and we go into his pad and it's all K-pop and Korean music. Mm-hmm. We could have had like a, like a, just like a, a, like a bulletin board of like evidence to like free dad and like him building towards something yeah. and see that interest in the criminal justice thing. Instead, Bruce hijacks that moment for him, recruits him on a team. And because the film says, oh, we don't have time to, to have any back and forth with this instantly joins the team <laughs> has no idea what they're going up against just because the film's too long mm. the film's not films too, too exactly yeah, the film's we have too- to show some restraint here yeah. oh my god what they've created in barry's house i guess is a secondary bat cave that's yeah. the jv crappy version of it mm-hmm. and hinted at some interest in technology which makes him the d minus version of cyborg so he's not faster than wonder woman his tech's not better than Cyborg, and his man cave, speed cave, there you go, isn't better than the Bat Cave. Why is he in this film? Yeah, and or he needs his own film to just set up all these because there's a lot of interesting deep nuggets you can get into with the Flash, and you can't do that in 15 minutes with him. Well, we talked about it too. There's mm-hmm. a lot of reluctance from the initial pitch from everyone on Batman about joining the team, except Barry. Mm-hmm. Hey, I need some help. Sweet, I'm in. Not, all right, look, you have money and I need money to pay for a legal defense for my dad so that I can get him another court hearing. Nothing, just, oh. I'm in, I need friends. Huge swing and miss. Huge, that's that's a line of dialogue. That doesn't take up much time, so. Right, right. I won't do it because I like you, Batman, because you just broke into my house, but I will do it because you have money and that's what my dad needs. And that's all we need. Again, Why he's- again Bruce, very just... I'm going to tell you I'm Batman. And like, if, if you say no or not, you'll just know my identity. So <laughs> Jesus. Right. right. Let's talk about. So the other kind of, I guess, ramifications of this Snyder cut were to build up another character in this thing. And that's Cyborg. So let's talk about him next. Um, and, and his, uh, his backstory. And you, you brought up yeah, the, the whole football aspect uh, sequence. It actually shows up in one of the early trailers. Yeah. Uh, one of the Zack Snyder trailer when he was still on board the project. So that got killed in the, what we saw last week, but that's very much evident here. And, you know, we kind of see the stuff with him and his mother and he's had as an estranged relationship with father, just because dad's too caught up with work. We've seen how that plays out in, in films before the absentee father, so to speak until tragedy strikes and kills both of them. And 
we don't see the mother box retrieval at that, but that would probably be the time to see the mother box retrieval, right? Mm -hmm. Where he puts cyborg together, this artificial sentient uh, being Mm -hmm. uh, that can essentially do. And I don't know which version's better, Matt, because in the Whedon version, we get next to no explanation on what this character is or does. And in this version, we get an over explanation of who he is and what he does. He's a walking supercomputer, nuclear deterrent, virus. He could, with a snap of his fingers, launch every nuke, shut down the financial system on the planet, uh, start a computer virus that shuts everything down. Every he, Too powerful. Mm-hmm. Too powerful. Yeah. <laughs> Expanse is far too vast. Very Ultron-like. Let me tell you a story about Cyborg. Okay. And then I'll get into mm-hmm. the idea that we talked about how they could have fixed this. Mm-hmm. I had... Uh, a picture book for my daughter when she was much younger that I would read to her. And it was like a page on the DC characters. Mm. And so it was like, here's this kind of cutesy drawing of wonder woman. And then a strong Amazon from the Island that right. And it was just like a, a general checklist on the things you need to know about each one of those. It was green lantern. It was Aquaman. It was wonder woman. It was Batman. It was hot girl. If you can believe hot girl made it in there. And lo and behold, cyborg was in there. After reading that book about 55,000 times, <laughs> I started making up the not, origin stories. Not 49,999. <laughs> I had a better agent than uh, Steppenwolf. That's awesome. <laughs> I started making up the origin stories as we'd go through it just to make her laugh. Mm-hmm. And it turned into a running joke in the family that every, got to, every time we got to the page on Cyborg, we'd, so I do this voice. Here we have Green Lantern. Green Lantern, you know, and then I'd, it got to be the joke where... Here we have Cyborg. Well, Ava, what can we say about Cyborg? Which is usually followed up by her saying, nothing. And we would just move on. <laughs> just go to the next Just page. skip him. And it became like a joke. Yeah. Not to make it, and I'm sure there's a few Cyborg fans out there that are probably shaking their fists at the Steppenwolf-like evilness of, of me on this podcast right now, but yeah. whatever. Yeah. He sucks. Because they haven't made him cool. Mm-hmm. This is really simple. Yeah. Here's how you make here's how you make him cool and help define him and mother boxes in one instance. In order to become cyborg, he is the mother box. If it's a living computer, a living machine, guess what cyborg is? Yeah. And the technology and the acquisition of the technology to create from dead Victor Stone carcass, cyborg, you use the mother box. Now all we have to do is figure out how dad figured out where the mother box was. And that's a story that I'm interested in. Yeah. In the meantime, Victor has an ax to grind with dad because he's created a monster. Sure. And he doesn't like himself. Yeah. Dad tempts Victor by saying, here's all the things that you can do. You can launch nuclear warheads. You can give this waitress $100,000, even though she'll probably go to jail because that's otherwise known as theft. Mm -hmm. Your joke, I'm using it. All Steppenwolf has to do is figure out that Cyborg is the embodiment of that mother box Mm -hmm. and then seduce him to the dark side. And now that character matters. And the battle over Cyborg is way more interesting than the non-defined, nondescript breadbasket that's under an arm like his football as he runs it away out of of his apartment building because of parademons at the window. Kind of like how Vision's the Mind Stone. Exactly. Yeah. So simple. Mm-hmm. And it was already there. It like, was. Whether, yeah. it, hey, this guy's kind of like Vision. We should do that. And these mother boxes are kind of like Infinity Stones. They even have colors. 
Let's do it. Instead, they just keep it in the closet. What can we say about Cyborg? I, I like your version better. I mean, and then and to the film's credit, I mean, part of this four-hour runtime is to flesh out this tragedy and the, the guilt with dad and then this with mom and all this nonsense and discovering his powers. But and if dad tells you, Victor, you have to be able to know when to use this and when not. Oh, my God, it's right there. It is. It, it, really, it really is. But... <laughs> Yeah, and then, and then you get into an interesting crux with the Justice League towards the end of the film when we're like, hey, we got to destroy these boxes. Mm-hmm. Are we going to destroy Cyborg? Oh, great. Because he's our buddy now. Love that. So there's more conflict there. And you're right. It makes him instantly matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, what can we say about Cyborg? We can turn the page to Hot Girl, Dad. Yeah, uh, uh, we can say one more thing about Cyborg because I'm going to play this clip. All right. Why are you looking for me, Diana? You know who I am. I know more than you can possibly imagine. Then maybe you already know I need your help. The world does. Fuck the world. Whoa. <laughs> You've obviously been through I thought a this was a kid's deal. movie. <laughs> I can't begin to imagine what. But whatever happened to you, you have gifts now. Gifts? What part of this looks like a gift to you? We need you, Victor. And maybe you need us. I don't need anyone. Not anymore. I told myself the same for a long time. I lost someone I loved once. I shut myself off from... from everyone. Steve Trevor, man. <laughs> Get a lot of run out of that death, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, a lot of run. <laughs> That's had a lot. There's a lot of mileage on those tires. My God. <laughs> That's called building empathy, everybody. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay. Every time someone says anything sad to Diana, she's going to talk about dead Trevor Steve. <laughs> I'm just, he just must have been just like the best sex of all time because she just can't move on from it. She can't let it go. <laughs> at all <laughs> so here we are in the film we're reaching the very end of chapter three had the halfway point of the snyder cut and we've recruited flash and diana uh gordon wants to meet batman on the roof of the gcpd because there's a rumor that it, these parademons might be batman <laughs> and it's just an excuse to have gordon in this movie you know what i mean so they've kidnapped uh, Miles Dyson and the Star Labs employees because they have the scent of the mother box. I buy that because of, you know, the parademons are like the scouts and they're holding them there in the in that reservoir. So this is all leading to a scene we've seen already before. So that's kind of what's coming up next. I paid close attention because it bugged me so much last week. Yeah. That reservoir is called Strikers Island. So we have a name for that now. Strikers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to. Is that the same island that they fought at in the, in the last one with Doomsday? Uh, maybe it might be. Yeah, I, 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 I just know we have a name for it. I almost said something stupid again. I said I'll go back and watch Batman versus Superman to see if it was, but I'm not going to do that. Pour yourself a big drink if you do it. But we've almost assembled the team. Kind of. Oh, we forgot about the the battle in Atlantis with. Oh yeah, let's not forget about with that. that because that's the theft of the second mother box. Uh, that worked for you. That was your favorite scene of all the last movie. Is still still all right? It's some action. I'm dying for action at this point. So um, I think the water, the fight in the water, does kind of present a bit of a cool way to do it. And there's a moment in there. Mm-hmm. Where I think we start to explore exactly how powerful the Atlanteans can be in the water, and that's that Mara bit. Oh, where she's like sucking his face. 
Yeah, something happens and she, okay, so she takes the water away from um, Steppenwolf, which causes him to crash to some structure in Atlantis and then builds the water back up around him to essentially drown him out even though he doesn't drown. He then pins her against the wall and she seems to take the ability to manipulate water and flush his head with it to essentially make it pop and he starts bleeding out his eyes and his mouth. Mm-hmm. She's got him pretty good there for a minute. I think that's a long answer to yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think so. Still working. I, yeah. What about Willem Dafoe in this movie? Yeah, that hadn't <laughs> changed though. <laughs> Impish Willem Dafoe's never good for me. I love that wig he has. He looks so ridiculous, but I just I always like him. Did you like him? I'm going to ask you a question. Did you like him as Norman Osborn? Oh yeah. Did you did like him? Yeah. There's been rumors Matthew McConaughey or no that they want him back to play Norman again. He's getting a little long in the tooth, but yeah, he's got that. Like he just, ha- he looks like a goblin. <laughs> he does. So that helps. Uh, yeah. But more suited for Norman than whatever his character's name is here in, in Aquaman. But yeah. his scenes got cut from the theatrical. So he is here in this one. <laughs> is it weird that they have to create that air bubble to speak? Why don't they just talk in the water? Yeah, that's why do they have to keep doing that? Yeah. That, I remembered that from the movie a bit of a barrier when, when they're underwater. But if yeah, that's where it, you live, you should be able to speak where you live. Yeah, that never seemed like they did that in the cartoon. They just talked through the water. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... That's how you call your sea dragon. Your sea... <laughs> Seahorse. <laughs> sea dragon. I'm sure there's probably one of those two in this film. That's Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, that is. So we're two hours into this thing. We've assembled three members of the team so far. Yeah. And we got three more chapters left to go. So we're... I, I said to you, this is like, can you imagine watching New Hope and two hours in, we barely got to Mos Eisley and got on the Millennium Falcon? Like, Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we barely done anything. Perfect story structure-wise similarity there. And I don't, I don't want to watch a four-hour New Hope. You know what I mean? New Hope's yeah, still a perfectly paced movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're not going to do this. We, we usually do our Master Distiller and Favorite Tasting Notes and Oh My Gods, but like I feel like we need to judge the whole film on its entirety because it's not a TV show, Matt. It's a four-hour movie. Mm-hmm. It's one movie. So yeah. we're going to save our ratings and all those questions for next week, and we can include some of this stuff from the first half if applicable. But uh, Let's set things I, I, where... So at this point, though, in the film, three in, we are two mother boxes are in the control of Steppenwolf, yes. and we have three Justice League members on board. <laughs> Is that where we're at? That's exactly where we're at. It took you two hours and three action sequences to get that. I have a question for you, though, since we're not doing our usual questions. What's one thing you want in the second half of this thing? You have to give me the reason that the Stone family has acquired or came to the knowledge of the mother box. Like, I assume that it's been pilfered from the... um, holding facility is at star labs by miles dyson <laughs> no that's exactly who he is matt <laughs> it's crazy right if yes. you, that they chose to use him in mm-hmm. this uh, maybe this has got ties to terminator and this is the beginning of skynet and it's cyborg mm. not really he kind of is skynet though kind of is yep you have to give me that we have to see how that came into his possession if in four hours we cannot decode that but i'm fearful that it won't jesse because he's a he's gonna die here pretty soon Mm -hmm. he's not he's not with us much longer in this film if that holds right did he die in the last one yeah i don't (laughs) yeah eviscerated i'd go back and watch blown to kingdom come (laughs) like as and as soon as they go to strikers island and have the battle it happens in in the reservoir here coming up okay 
I don't think we're going to get it. If you forgot to give me that piece, it's really bad filmmaking. I mean, story-wise, uh, script supervisor-wise, editor-wise, Zack Snyder, Joss Whedon, all of you. Yeah. Shame on all of you. Yeah. What do you want? I need Zack Snyder to give me a reason for Batman to matter in the final battle. Because uh, we're going to Sokovia it up again in the final scene, I imagine. And I need I need Batman doing something. I think there's <laughs> more hope for yours than mine. Okay. We've seen Alfred trying to build his energy-absorbing gauntlets. Yeah. Let's which see. is pretty much the same power that Wonder Woman has, and we've talked about that a lot too, mm-hmm. where one starts and one stops. But maybe we'll see. That's what I want because then he's just he's on the bleachers, man, <laughs> standing on some balcony, <laughs> shooting batarangs at the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I know it's okay. I want to bring it up again because we have to do it. Again. Jesse's dying over here. Guys, it's the curse of Batman. We talked about it last week. It's so prevalent. It's here. a good curse to have. Though. It is. It's yeah. it's not Batman's fault. Yeah, yeah. It's Bob Kane and his expertise in creating a great villain. I mean, great a great hero yeah. with a superb rogues gallery, and nothing else in DC even coming close. The problem is it is so grounded at the street level, and that's why it works. That when you bring Steppenwolf in. Not only does it make Gotham the only city because Metropolis is like on the JV team and like the second player off the bench when it comes to city importance in the DC universe. But Batman is not capable of fighting anything supernatural more grand yeah than street level bad guy well even when or ba- cosmic even when batman fights like killer croc and Clayface, like it gets a little ridiculous yeah. like it's a little too much for him i'm just i keep laughing i just picture batman in the bleachers just going go team <laughs> with this little flag <laughs> with this little pom-pom going yeah. his little foam finger jla number one jla go team because <laughs> that's where he belongs he belongs in the bleachers <laughs> all right man i hope you get it I hope you get yours too. I mean, yeah. I hope we get something. That's right. <laughs> so until next week, chapters four through six, let's wrap this up with a nightcap. All right. some okay stuff in there Mm -hmm. hit us with the with the nightcap this week matt keep it in line with the theme of the film this week which would be midstream directorial changes i asked you to find me one case where that worked in the benefit of the film and one case maybe where that worked in the uh, opposite the negative expense of the film shall we say so Excellent. give me one case where it worked out and was good one case where it worked out and it was bad do you want to do good first and then bad second sure i think this happens more frequently than i think people understand i mean i think people lose jobs all the time when they've already started and it's too late uh the good i just came to this story and i've told you a couple times already but it's tombstone from 1992 i believe uh, original director Kevin Jarre, who wrote the film, was fired like a month in because he was bu- under over budget, <laughs> behind schedule. So, by a suggestion by Mr. Sylvester Stallone uh, to Kurt Russell, who they became buddy buddies on another kind of crazy production called Tango and Cash, mm. 
he says, Kurt, I know you're really into this. You're producing this film. If you want to kind of finish and direct the rest of this, uh, you need to hire this guy because he'll kind of let you do that. And the guy's George P. Cosmatos, who directed Cobra, I do believe, and Rambo First Blood Part Two. So Stallone essentially directed those movies too. You need kind of a director that's going to be able to take some guidance from your leading actor. So Kurt Russell essentially directed Tombstone, and you would never even know because the movie is pretty good. Right. <laughs> it's a pretty enjoyable Western sure film. Sure is. With one of the best casts, I think, that's ever been assembled. It's it's a rock star cast. Perfect, yeah. And I didn't know of this troubled production story until literally like three weeks ago. Mm. And it, it, I really want to go back and rewatch Tombstone now with that knowledge, but that's my choice. Love it. I didn't know that either. Stallone. I mean, Stallone with the the inside. I mean, he's he's a smart guy too. Sure Talked is. about that before. I'm gonna go way, 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 way back. Okay. I'm gonna go all the way back to 1939, my friend. Mm. In 1939. I think I know what you're gonna pick. This is crazy though, because I have an anecdotal piece that's even. You probably don't know. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. Mm. The original director of Gone with the Wind was George Cukor. He was fired six months in because he couldn't get along with David O. Selznick and Clark Gable. Can you blame him? No. <laughs> no, we saw Mick. Yes. And they brought in none other than Mr. Victor Fleming, who got that across the finish line in what was, at the time, the most grandiose mm -hmm. epic, and still holds. Where this story takes an interesting turn, though, mm -hmm. is this is not the first time that Mr. Victor Fleming is going to do this. Did you know this? Yeah. It also happened on... Wizard of Oz. Holy shit. The same year. That is crazy. <laughs> Victor Fleming bailed out... Two of the most iconic films of in the history of cinema yeah. in the same calendar year. Yeah, <laughs> that's wild. Richard Thorpe was the original director of The Wizard of Oz, and I wouldn't know another thing that no. guy ever made. Uh -uh. And frankly, I don't really know a whole lot of, of the things that Victor Fleming made, but these are two rather large films that Those he managed to save. Two good films to have in your resume. Is that crazy? In the same year. I forgot the story of George Cukor directing Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy, yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> How about that? Can, All you, right. can you imagine having to make those two movies in one year? I, I mean, couldn't. They're, they're two very epic productions on their own right. Mm -hmm. <sighs> yeah, is right. <laughs> yeah, geez, cool, good choice. And they both made like a shit zillion dollars too. They were both huge hits when they came. There's a reason they called Thirty Nine the Golden Year of Cinema because mm -hmm. those aren't the only two good movies that came out that year. What else? Uh, I think it's. Uh, Blackmail. Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Rebecca. Uh, no. Um, Rebecca's 41. Yeah, I think Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, oh, my goodness. Withering Heights. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there's, there's like a list of like just 10 movies that you're just like, it's it's packed. It's packed to the gills. Good for Victor Fleming. Let's talk about the bad. Can't wait. You go first. <sighs> we mentioned some good that this guy had done a few weeks ago, but I'm going to kill him on this one. Okay. The movie is Rumor Has It. This is the first time I remember in my life leaving a film physically frustrated to the point where we asked for a refund. That was the first film that I ever did that on. It took something that is as hollowed as The Graduate, graduate. yeah, and turned it into a schlocky rom-com dramedy piece of crap. Okay, so the original director on that is Mr. Ted Griffin. Shoulder shrug. Hmm. You know who he's replaced with? Rob Reiner. Wow. Good job, Meathead. That film blows. <laughs> I've never seen it. Oh, God. But I knew it's kind of this like pseudo weird oh. sequel inspired of The Graduate. 
there's a lot of places that this could go, but I particularly hate that film. Mm. And I have a bone of contention to pick with Mr. Rob Reiner for taking that project. I guess money talks there, huh, Rob? But that movie sucks. Shame on you for doing it, and shame on that movie for ever getting greenlit. But good choice. No matter who did it, that movie was going <laughs> to be. There was dead. no save in it. Yeah, no. Interesting. It wasn't like that was a really good concept till Rob Reiner got his hands on it. No, yeah. the movie just was bad. But, but you know, talking about how great his like first six films were that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Yeah, good choice. Thanks. Let's hear yours. I you've know this seen going to be good. You've seen it. Everyone knows the production woes of this film. And is anyone like just champ uh, chomping at the bit to go back and rewatch this film? The film's solo. Mm-hmm. The original wow. directors are Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who I think are actually two pretty good directors who have a unique comedic and visual style with the Lego movie, 21 and 22 Jump Street, Into the Spider-Verse. And this was kind of like their first big film. And their ver- vision didn't jive with uh, what Solo they wanted from Solo, so they fired them and brought on Ron Howard to essentially mop up what could be mopped up in a film that is entirely frustrating. And I don't want to say unwatchable because I did watch it, but... Have you gone back and rewatched that again since the theater? I mean, it is just so kind of boring. Yeah. And I, I've nothing against Ron Howard. I like some of his movies, two of them for that matter. Uh, he's not the type of director I would come in to save the day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not calling Ron Howard to save Han Solo, solo film. No. When your lead actor needs quote unquote acting lessons because he isn't good. <laughs> that's the first problem. But it's not the direct. I think that their vision of what they wanted to do with Solo would have been pretty unique, actually. So they took that and went made, and went and made Into the Spider-Verse. And that movie's pretty unique in its own right. So good for them. That might be more of an indictment on Kathleen Kennedy. I think it is, yeah. Which there's quite a list of those as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have an honorable mention, but I wasn't lazy enough to look up who took over. But it would be whoever took over for Josh Trank on the Fantastic Four when he got canned. I don't know if he necessarily got fully fired or if he just, his compromised version made it to the screen. So it pretty much ended his career though. Oh, too. absolutely. Well, he was very vocal and they killed that and yeah, ruined him. Yep. Well, promising career at that, at that. I mean, he was Chronicle and then that, and you speak very highly of that. I like that movie too. Mm-hmm. And then to get to get your hands on the fantastic four with, I think a really good cast, Michael B. Jordan, Miles Teller. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, that movie's terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Good choice. Yeah, that's yeah. I forgot about those production worlds. There's something just when the film has a. I don't wish a trouble production on anybody. That sounds like hell, mm-hmm. but um, certainly makes the story more interesting, especially if the movie turns out bad. Because you can at least talk about the production and less about the movie. <laughs> so this isn't unprecedented territory for this Justice League to be in, um, and I think good or bad. It's also not unprecedented, but mm-hmm. we've had a lot to talk about, and we're only halfway through. <laughs> only halfway through. I think that's the shocking part. So, Actually, a little less than halfway per time. A little more? A little less. If it's four hours and nine minutes and we're at 155, we got some work to do yet, bud. Yep. Well, that's Justice League chapters one through three. Give it a watch. It's gonna. I think this one will be on HBO Max for the foreseeable future. I don't think it's limited to its 30-day window like the other releases, I think, because this is an HBO Max <laughs> production through Time Warner and... AT&T. Well, considering the time, it might take you more than 30 days to get through it. <laughs> it's also true. Yeah. So we'll get into chapters four through six next week, wrap up this uh, version of the Snyder Cut, 
and then get on to greener pastures, I, I, I hope, with better... This is good. You did good this week. Thanks. This yeah. is much better than the strawberry PB&J. To that. But I'm looking forward to drinking real whiskey and bourbon again, so... Until next time. Do you want I, to forecast the week before you head out what's coming up? Do you want to check oh, yeah, out Patreon? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, sorry. I'm already, I'm already trying to get out the door. <laughs> but, uh, yes, Patreon's big this week. We have our um, on our top shelf tier. Got another big superhero thing to discuss, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Season 1, Episode 1. That'll be a new weekly show um, that'll be debuting every Saturday for the duration of that show. Uh, and coming up, as we've teased out, David Fincher's Fight Club this coming Wednesday. I'm very excited to, to talk about that film. And uh, the year 1999, as much as 1939 is a great year, 1999 could give it a run for its money, in my opinion. Well said. So we'll discuss all of that. It's a time to talk about David Fincher and not Mank Space. Oh, we're just saving his good movies for another day. But uh, Fight Club's going to be, that's going to be an interesting discussion. Falcon Winter Soldier is going to be an interesting discussion, and I'm really looking forward to having that. We haven't done TV yet, so that'll be a new foray Absolutely. for us. Absolutely. But Fight Club has the potential to be one of those movies that you and I have wildly different opinions on. I don't think mm-hmm. Inglorious Bastards kind of different opinions, but different takes on. Yeah. And so I've, I've heard that from a lot of people, too. I mean, there's a lot of people that like it and then that gang the other way. So we'll kind of just see where we, we come. Maybe we can kind of meet somewhere in the middle there. I imagine that'll happen. Yeah. So... A lot, a lot of big stuff, a lot of fun stuff. Check out Snyder Cut. Subscribe to Patreon. Go go to tpublic.com. Download some merch. Matt's wearing some right now. I am. I was drinking some this morning from my coffee cup. So nice. go grab yourself some, some cool swag. We'd appreciate it. Excellent. But cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. Cheers. I got to get going. I'm going to go look for the third mother box. Uh, and I hope it is Cyborg. I, that's a cool way for it to be. And a much better end to the quest than I imagine we're going to get. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It's not Cyborg. Oh, spoil- I put it in your doghouse. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Excellent. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash Films for exclusive bonus episodes plus feature-length watch-along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Zack Snyder's Justice League is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, DC Films, Atlas Entertainment, The Stone Quarry, and HBO Max. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. They will tell me what they know.